Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. So we just recorded a podcast going over all of the headlines and and all of the updates, except for um, Israel's stuff and the immigration debate that's been going on. And we just wanted to go over all of that. But Robbie, uh, starting off, and this does directly relate to the immigration debate and especially the refugee crisis. In our previous podcast, we mentioned that Trump is dropping a bomb every 12 minutes that is permanently separating families. Um, And I just think it's worth mentioning just the statistics going from Bush to Trump, where Bush dropped 70,000 bombs in five countries. Obama dropped 100,000 bombs in seven countries. And Trump has ramped up that campaign to drop 44,000 bombs in his first year alone. That's 121 bombs a day. Every 12 minutes, U.S. obliterates innocent lives around the world. Again, the cognitive dissonance of A, Americans who don't understand or care or empathy for the fact that our bombs are permanently separating families on a daily basis every 12 minutes, or the cognitive dissonance of not understanding how the refugee crisis on a global scale is happening because of U.S. foreign policy. And and this is just the Middle East. We can get into the the dirty wars and, and the coups and the endless military incursions in Latin America later, which is where the majority of obviously those refugees and migrants are coming from. But it just kills me that we can't connect these basic dots. What you just brought up is such an important part of all this. And I remember when all those like little small attacks were happening in Europe that seemed like they just kept happening and they were all like, somehow they were all ISIS, which I don't even really know how they determine other than being in that ISIS magazine where ISIS probably just takes credit for every fucking thing that happens. And I remember thinking at the time, how weird is it that no one in Europe, no politician in Europe is using American foreign policy is the reason why this is happening. It just seems like such an obvious thing. Like why get mad at the refugees or the influx of like people coming in from Syria when the source that's causing this is American foreign policy. If you, if you believe it's all ISIS, you know, or whatever. And I never understood why people never made that link or even, you know, like just like a politician, you could use that energy and be like, look, this is a serious problem here. Like they're, they're, they're causing all this anger and resentment and they're taking out on us. They're not even taking out on the United States. Like it's, yeah, it's totally. pulling over Why to our Europeans fucking country and more? America's yeah. fine. You know, right? I was, I mean, that was always interesting to me that no one would take that position as a mainstream, like political sort of wedge issue, but I don't know. Do you think that they're, they're too scared to isolate themselves from the U S because the U S has that much control and power and it's like a taboo thing to, talk about i mean why i wonder if what jeremy corbyn has said about it i that's a really good point i mean i think now with with trump definitely probably there's more fear of that but before i don't i don't know i honestly don't know i mean you had more you had uk politicians always saying stronger things about american foreign policy than any american politician was but i mean you see smarter ones who are like just marginalized (laughs) hidden figures (laughs) saying stuff like that, but nobody in the mainstream sphere really at all. I mean, yeah. And instead you see people like Nigel Farage becoming hugely popular who just utilizes the refugee crisis and the migrant influx to just punch down and, 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 you know, have this 
proto-fascist like rhetoric that just takes off like wildfire because it's just the easiest scapegoat in the world. I did. Did you see that Mad Magazine cartoon that I sent you from like the eighties? Talking about the Patriot, it was like the American Patriot, and it just explains like a you know your average like bigot today, like just to the T. Uh, it's just so funny to see Mad Magazine accurately portraying. Like no, a, I'm gonna look it up. Wait, so when was this from? Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, American Patriot. But was Check it an it old it's, issue? Yeah, it was like it was like in the 80s or something. But really? It was just so on point. Yeah, I mean, Mad Magazine is actually genius. And, and picking it up today, I know that we loved it as kids, but it really aged well. Like, you can pick up a publication today and just laugh your ass off. It's like for kids and adults alike. Uh-huh. It's extremely smart. It's still really good. I remember during the Obama era, they were one of the only magazines that you would see on the store shelves that would be like parodying Obama's foreign policy. Yeah. With like the drone, the drone ranger. They had like a lone ranger parody poster where he was dressed up like, um, I don't even remember, but yeah. Let's jump right into this. Um, 3,700 children are, are currently separated from their parents. It's a complete and total shit show. Basically, the Trump administration comes in with these little Nazis behind him, like Stephen Miller, to carry out this zero tolerance policy at the border. And we're going to get into how how this was all built and what Obama did and what Bush did and what Clinton did a little bit later. But first, it's important to talk about how this actually is different um, because Trump is gaslighting everyone and, and basically deflecting everything on the Democrats. So yes, while, and again, it's a really smart tactic because this is how he rose to power is just pointing out the uh-huh. hypocrisy of, of the Democratic Party and how, and liberalism, which is dead on. But, but it's also a deflection from the fact that he is carrying out like Nazi style tactics. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's going on is horrifying. Um, you know, thousands of children separated from their families. And, and this is everywhere, so I'm not going to get too much in the weeds of what's going on because I'm sure you guys have seen it wall to wall on, on all media. But I'm just going to kind of talk about the highlights here. I think it's really comparable to the Muslim ban where he gets in there and, you know, he has zero experience. The, the, the administration was barely even staffed enough. And they just put in these draconian authoritarian policies with no plan no feasibility of how to even carry this out. Like there was no structure even put in place to deal with this influx. There was no documentation supplied to these children. So you literally have almost 4,000 kids where their parents, a lot of them don't even know where they are. A lot of these children are babies. They can't speak. Um, How are they going to get reunited? It is a complete disaster. Just like how the Muslim ban was carried out, people were midair, not knowing what the hell was going on. Could they land in the country? Could they not? I saw footage of New York City of kids with hoods on their head, like Guantanamo style, being ushered into cars. It's like, were they getting trafficked? Were they getting brought to another facility? What the hell is going on here? The traumatization and psychological abuse that's incurred from separating a child from their family is is horrifying. It's harrowing, and it could actually just have lifetime consequences. I read from one neuroscientist that it could actually rewire your brain chemistry to reduce your life expectancy by up to 20 years. You know, and I'm sure it's the same in war zones, obviously, again, going back to the foreign policy. but And also on top of that, kids in these facilities are being injected against their will with psychotropic drugs um, that is making them disoriented, sleepy. They don't know what, what is in these drugs. They have no idea what the medical records are of these children or, or, or anything like that. 
So with all of this outcry and almost manufactured outrage, because again, we're going to get into what Obama was doing. And again, the cognitive dissonance of, of how we're actually separating families every day. But there was a mass outrage because, of course, when when the media is showing wall to wall coverage of kids screaming and, and being separated from their families, people suddenly give a shit right about what's going on. Yeah. And but it's, um, it's yeah, worth analyzing what what causes this sort of mass outrage all at the same time? Because the media, if that's what caused it, the media playing the, the footage and like and bringing this up constantly, what caused them to cover it like that? Like it's, it's just very interesting the way that this all of a sudden, like when the resistance, you know, decides that Russia is not the number one thing to go after Trump for right when Trump got in office, remember the resistance or the so-called resistance and the mainstream media went full, like 10 out of 10, you know, energy on the Muslim ban, the travel ban. And I remember even the Sergey brothers from Google were like protesting in the airport and shit. It was very strange. I mean, even at the time I was thinking that's strange that this is all, you know, sort of like coalescing together. So there does seem to be something to be, seem to be something artificial driving it, but it's like, what is it? You know, like, I mean, it's, it's just like any other media blast. Um, but yet it is such a horrifying and outrageous thing that it's not like a completely manufactured controversy because it's it's based on the, an actual policy change. But you do have to wonder like when, how does this all sort of kickstart and snowball like this? You know, because it does seem like it's not just an organic thing on the media's part. Yeah, no, good question. And I think the answer is a couple layers. I mean... You saw a similar outrage, like you said, during the Muslim ban. You saw a similar manufactured hysterical response to the chemical weapons attack, alleged chemical weapons attack. With all of these instances, it's the minutia of the democratic difference between the Democrats and Republicans. So with the chemical weapons attack, there was obviously some sort of other apparatus that was trying to provoke Trump into, you know, going to war full out with, with Syria at that point. And there was a thing going on within the factions of the establishment. And I think that with the Muslim ban and this, basically, and what we're going to get into is that Democrats and Republicans agree almost wholeheartedly on immigration. They agree almost wholeheartedly on surveillance, on all of the worst aspects of, of this criminal system and the empire. So when someone crosses a tiny line that makes the system look horrible, um, of course, they're going to utilize that to try to garner power in their own base. So, so the resistance jumped on, on these photos, even though Obama was doing something very similar because it just looks better for them. And they're able to be like, no, we don't support this. We support humane mass deportation. We don't support separating children and tearing infants off when they breastfeed from their mothers. But we do support just like separating the families after they go through the mass immigration trials and putting them in cages then. So um, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it does seem like there is billions of dollars behind this when you have Hillary Clinton sending out um, fundraising emails from the Democratic Party saying this is in America. When you have Obama making giant Facebook notes about how disgusted he is and and you see videos of him talking about how every child across the border is as his own. That was that really he loves them the same as his own son. Well, and when you have Bill fucking Clinton talking about it, too. So all of these people who actually helped create this apparatus that Trump has naturally exacerbated, that's the logical conclusion of this policy. And yeah, you have to wonder what exactly is going on here. I, the, the Obama thing was really interesting to me because he's been awfully sort of like in the, 
background or just sort of silent on a lot of the resistance narratives, like especially when it comes to Russia. So to have him sort of come back and be like joined together with Clinton and Laura Bush on this immigration thing, it's it's interesting. I mean, it does seem really coordinated and it does seem like a weaponized sort of political issue to like to go against Trump, even though it is such a horrible real thing. So yeah, I have really mixed feelings about it because it's like, of course, like I don't want them to be doing this <laughs> to families at the border. But then, yeah, I mean, the Obama policies were almost just as bad. So you really do have to look at the, you know, everything in context. But just like the the drone bombings and the bombings, I mean, Trump has right. employed a zero tolerance policy and actually like increased the horribleness of this policy. So it's it's hard to find a position. It's hard to find people talking about it who I like feel like are talking about it honestly and in proper context. Because a lot of people are kind of talking about it with, through, via lies of omission, I feel like. Totally. How did we get here? What is the context of this happening? How did Trump even utilize this apparatus to do what he's doing? But also, very crucial to understand that that Trump's rhetoric, this anti-immigrant vitriol that he literally campaigned on, the mantra, build the wall, this, this mindless chant from his sycophantic followers, build the wall, build the wall. Um, he got into office basically promising that he was going to have this draconian crackdown on immigration. That's you, no matter which way you slice it, that is different. It's different when you're literally giving a green light to an organization like ICE that is a, essentially a terrorist organization terrorizing communities of color. Um, that that's you're you're giving them carte blanche. And that's exactly what they said when they when Trump won. They said our jobs are fun now. They go and stock hospitals. They just did a mass raid on a, on a meat f factory, one of the biggest mass arrests of immigra immigrants in, in decades. They arrested 150 people. They're stalking um, people at their most vulnerable moments. It's a Gestapo force of jackboot thugs that are going around and, and doing this. So that is different. That is very, very different. And that's where you see this, this kind of lawlessness where they are just loving this. They're gleefully um, rounding up these children. You know, because they think of them as, as animals, these ICE agents. You cannot be an ICE agent and actually think of, of a Mexican child, you know, as the same as you. There's absolutely no way you can do that. And, and his rhetoric, too. I mean, saying that they're infesting our country as if they're just like insects that should be squashed. I mean, these, this is horrifying dehumanization. And we already have talked about how it emboldens racists and bigots here. It's very disturbing. You know, he issued this executive order because of this mass outrage and the executive order is basically going to go back to the Democrat policy because the executive order is basically just saying that, all right, we're no longer going to separate children from their parents. You know, at the onset, we're just going to go back to how it was. So uh -huh. we're going to get into how it actually was. But, you know, again, this executive order is going to do nothing to reunite the families that are already separated. So I don't know what's going to happen to these 4,000 children. We already know that that several hundred are are completely unaccounted for. A lot of them have been trafficked in the past also. Um, and then you have Melania Trump wearing that I don't care do you shirt. You know, the most amazing thing, and I know this has been belabored a lot, but I think it was just a very, even if she was that fucking dumb, 
um, which I, you know, it's really hard to believe that she doesn't have handlers that are like, hey, this might actually be insensitive to wear this to like a child um, detention facility where children are in cages, but hey, you do you. Um, but it was a very let them eat cake moment. It seemed like it was like similar to the woman cutting that mushroom cloud cake, <laughs> you know, in, in, in 1946 where that DC military bash uh-huh. celebrating those atomic tests in the Pacific Ocean and the woman's wearing like that giant hat that looks like she's at the Kentucky Derby, like cutting a mushroom cloud cake. And now everyone's just smiling as if, you know, that's how removed they are from, from everything that's going on. What did you think about that? No, the shirt thing, I honestly was very confused by, and I felt like everyone in the media was trying to spin it in a different way. I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea like how it could have been a, just a complete coincidence. You're just completely out of touch. Like, I don't even fucking know. It was very strange. And the way Trump spun it on Twitter by saying Melania wore this is a reaction to the fake news media or something. Did yeah. You see that tweet? Yeah. Um, but I, as you were talking, I was just remembering how this actually, if you go back to the timeline of when this outrage started, it was actually very interesting because all those pictures came out in that freedom of information or something oh, like the ACLU report. Yes. And everyone was posting them around saying, this is fascism. This is horrible. Look what our president's doing. He's treating these people like animals. And I remember thinking, well, but this is actually from 2014. This, these pictures aren't from right now. And only a few people were pointing that out and trying to like correct things being like, well, actually this is what these pictures were from the Obama era. And then all these Democrats were just talking about the pictures as if they were taken right now in the Trump era. And that's not to say that there aren't pictures that are equally as horrible happening right now in the Trump era, but it was like their outrage was very bizarre to watch because they completely missed the point where it's like, actually, this happened in the previous administration. I mean, you remember thanks, that? Susan that Sarandon. was like a few weeks ago, right? What? I said, thanks, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> so um, no, yeah, you're, no, you're right. The ACLU had that report put out. It was from a FOIA request under Obama. It was actually Customs and Border Patrol agents as well, and that's because Obama oversaw a policy where thousands and thousands and thousands, like for example, in 2014 alone, 47,000 children who were unaccompanied minors were arrested and put in cages. So, and Democrats will. If you bring that up, they'll be like, yeah, well, this is different because he's separating them from their families. And those were like people, kids that were coming over alone. Um, But yeah, no, you're totally right. Again, where was the outrage? I was outraged when I saw those photos in 2014. So here's what I'm wondering. If the Democrats or the Democratic Party saw that and then wanted to reroute that anger and that energy to actually make it something actually about Trump, that was a difference between Trump and Obama. And that's where they figured out where that difference was. Yeah. Is separating the families before they go through the trial, you know, the immigration trial system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there's definitely some political games being played here for fucking sure. It's oh, just hard. to. Yeah. It's opaque. It's like hard to tell exactly what's driving it, you know, but it's definitely, it's definitely a political war. I feel like it's not, it's not organic outrage. Even though it's something to be outraged about, just like you should have been outraged about these immigration policies under Obama too. So it's a really, it's kind of just a mess when I feel like when the Democrats 
and these political groups really turn something into like such a big issue like this because then you literally have everyone talking about it across the country like in casual conversation as if it's the number one pressing issue facing us right now. And while it may be outrageous and awful, it's just kind of surreal when all of a sudden everybody you encounter is just like talking about the same thing, like learning what to be outraged about. And I find that, I just honestly find that kind of creepy. But again, I think it's terrible. So I can understand why people are outraged about it, but it's also just seems, it honestly creeps me out. Like I just watched They Live last night and I'm kind of like, you know, thinking just like how everybody just all of a sudden starts getting outraged about the same thing because the media is showing them pictures. I mean, imagine if the media just started showing everybody pictures of like dead kids in Yemen, you know? I mean, they could tomorrow start doing that and getting everybody outraged, but they don't, you know? So there's just something, there's definitely something to this. And I'm, I'll stop harping on that point because I know there's, I mean, this is a real issue, but I just can't help but like wonder what the fuck is actually going on here. <laughs> No, of course. I mean, it's a, it's a tale as old as time. It's like, this is what they do. This is what they do in every instance where they want to create a, a outrage, even though we should be outraged all the time. So I mentioned Stephen Miller, and I think it's worth mentioning that Stephen Miller is is one of these guys that's just totally like an under not underrated. I mean, he's, he's, I think he has a shitload of pull in the administration. I just don't know why he isn't more exposed and more like out there. I think because he's just, he's, he, he seems like such a sociopath. He seems like he has zero emotion. Like I could just see him just dismembering a body, just tearing someone apart with like his teeth, like flesh. Um, I I just, he's absolutely insane. Right. When he was, um, Put in the, I remember there was a meme going around saying it puts the lotion on its skin with a picture of him <laughs> like a year ago when he first got like, uh, you know, even, it, maybe it was actually longer than a year ago. So people have been picking up on those vibes for a while. Um, you know, he's the White House senior policy advisor. So you have to understand that he is in Trump's ear on a daily basis. Trump loves him. He's what, like 31? He definitely was the one behind the Muslim ban for the large part, and this, he was really pushing this forward for months and months until Trump kind of acquiesced, according to this Vanity Fair article. And according to someone within the administration, quote, Stephen actually enjoys seeing those pictures at the border. He's a twisted guy, the way he was raised and picked on. There's always been a way he's gone about this. He's Waffen SS. So again, raised and picked on, you mean like raised in an extremely privileged elite circle? I'm going to do more research on Stephen Miller and talk about this in a future episode. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just insane that it's like on one hand you have Trump and a lot of these other people. Like if you watch Fox News, it's very surreal. It's a very surreal exercise because all they do is talk about how the liberal media is like covering this. But then they'll sprinkle in like their glee for how immigrants are being treated. Finally, you know, finally Trump is is really having a, a red line on immigration as if Obama wasn't the deporter in chief. So it's a really surreal thing to, to see, actually, to see like half of these people deflect everything and be like, the Democrats were doing this too. And then like half of these people like Stephen Miller just openly embrace this this shit and be like, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's it's kind of... It's kind of Trumpian. I mean, it's it's a characteristic of his um, right. of the way his administration has gone so far. It's almost like uh, 
the Barry Weiss effect that she was that people were talking about, where if you keep trolling someone uh, enough about not being progressive enough, they're going to turn right wing. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like I feel like all this hatred towards the Trump administration is almost like making certain people in the administration double down on like being like fascist monsters, right? Like just out of like a knee jerk reaction, like so. Actually, in a way, the Barry Weiss effect is real in that regard. Womp womp. <laughs> you saw that. I saw that. And um, that's the guy who was accused of leaving a bruise on the arm of a female reporter. Remember Michelle that bizarre Fields. incident? Michelle Fields, yeah, at Breitbart, yeah. right? I mean, I honestly thought that that was potentially like a staged incident of some kind when it first happened. Right. Like some kind of weird insurrection split happening at Breitbart, like the anti-Trump Republicans versus the pro-Trump ones or something. But now I'm after he did that on TV, I'm kind of thinking, well, actually, maybe he probably did do that. I, I don't know. It's. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I always thought that Michelle Fields was like a, like staged it because she's just, she's one of those people. She's like a, she's like a way more attractive Laura Loomer. Like she'll do anything for attention, you know? Uh-huh. And so I, I had no idea who Corey Lewandowski was when that happened. But now Wow, I I don't put anything past that dude. That guy's fucking psychotic. Yeah, um, what, what is his background? Doesn't didn't he work for? He's a he's a veteran, right? Yo, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and was it Corey Lewandowski who was briefly employed by CNN or something like right after he yes. left the Trump administration? Yes, he was. was yeah, he had like a contract. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine being CNN and being like, yeah, you know who needs to come on, Corey Lewandowski? <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Um, so then then there's the surreal aspect. I was going to say something funny about how Adam Curtis would tell you that Russia actually invented the tactic that Trump is using. <laughs> what? Um, what tactic? Just like, the, like, just like double speak. You oh. know, like everyone thinks like Russia created these like, ta- like psyopy. Oh yeah, like the Surkov. Right. I mean, actually it's interesting because one of the things that, this is always something that I always would think of when people would bring up the sophisticated Russian disinformation strategies is oftentimes it almost seemed like they were describing things that the United States government had dialed in and perfected, such as like dividing the populace, like creating disinformation to on either pole. You know, like the, I remember in the Adam Curtis movie, Hypernormalization, he presents this idea that Surkov, you know, would fund these you know, radical groups on both sides to create chaos or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, who the fuck knows, but yeah, I feel like that's what we do. I mean, yeah, just look how polarized we are. Do you really think Russia caused our country to be this polarized? <laughs> it's at, at every, at every turn when it seems like there could be some kind of unifi- unifying issue, it just seems like things get thrown out the window. Yeah, and then I was gonna I was gonna compare this this Trump press conference. Just imagine if Putin or Maduro did this, um, and you probably saw this. But again, things are happening at such a rapid pace. I, I you know, it's it's hard to actually follow the day to day of how ridiculous reality has become. But Trump has this press conference. Thank God, Katie Steinle wasn't a part of it. Oh my um, God, I have family. I, yeah. I'm yeah. No, I was I watching that press conference. Talk about thinking, it, dude. Talk about what he did. Well. Okay, so if anybody's been listening to the Media Roots podcast for a while, you would know that Abby and I both knew Kate Steinle. I barely knew her. She was Abby's age. You went to high school with her. Um, I remember her coming over the house, you know, when we still live with mom and dad multiple times. 
And so it was really especially horrifying for us when one of Trump's major campaign issues became (laughs) Kate Steinle's death at the hands of that undocumented immigrant who apparently accidentally shot her. Like he even, he wasn't convicted of murder. So it was shown to be an accidental shooting, you know, which is just a horrible, tragic, uh, you know, senseless thing that happened to her. But Trump used it as an illegal immigrant murdered this beautiful young woman. I mean, it was a, it was a terrible tragedy. It, it, you know, it hit Abby and I really close to home. We knew this girl and we also knew based on your interactions with her later in your life is that she was very in line with your politics. So to have Trump using her death like that, it was so wrong on so many levels to us. I mean, it was actually horrifying for a few days when that was happening for me, I can't even imagine what it'd been like for you. You knew her. Much yeah, I still, I, I still get trolled with by people with her face as. Oh their my Abby. god! Yeah, me too. So that photograph of her face was all over the media for a while, and then all of a sudden, Trump does this press conference, like you know, a year after he's president, where he's autographing pictures of dead <laughs> kids or people that have been murdered or shot or killed by undocumented immigrants. And he actually autographed the pictures and is having them like hold them up during this press conference. And I was like, oh my God, no, Kate Steinle's picture is going to be in here. And it wasn't. So yeah. that tells me that on somewhere along the line, her family turned away from Trump. They don't want to be a part of this anymore. And I am, you know, and I cannot imagine what it would be like for a parent to go through that. So I'm proud of them for not being a part of this press conference. So yeah, when Kate, when the guy got off, um, they released a statement and they said, thank God we can finally be in peace and our daughter's death will not be politicized anymore. And that became really clear that they were very disgusted um, with what Trump was doing. I wasn't sure because of course, when you, you know, when you have such a horrible tragedy, it's like, you're going to try to make sense of it. And, and, you know, it's being used as political football by the government. But to see Trump up there with these blown up photos, like glamour shot photos that were huge poster boards and scrawling his autograph on them. It was, it's just so weird. Well, and it's very fascistic. I mean, you could talk about how the resistance was hyperbolic and calling Trump Hitler in all these different ways, but this is one way where it's accurate. This is a fascistic measure to bring out like, and yeah, trot out people like that. Yeah, I mean, he did it in his. We knew he was going to do something like this because he he announced it. What was that name acronym oh, yeah. he came up with for like the department that would broadcast and make yeah. light of people murdered by illegal immigrants? Yeah, like like he wanted to do like a weekly roundup. Yeah, like a Breitbart style little rundown of all the the deaths by immigrants and crimes. Yeah, I mean that's that's the kind of stuff Nazi Germany would do. So. um it's um, it's no surprise that he's he's doubling down on this and he's just moving forward like this. Um, it's really really odd, and it's also odd too how people just can't acknowledge that he is racist dog whistling by right. calling even by ca- saying that MS thirteen are animals. I mean, dehumanizing groups of people like the worst of the worst. <laughs> that's that's the whole point. It's like you're supposed to treat even the worst of the worst at as they're still human beings, even though they might really strongly hate the, this group of people to, to put them below human beings, I think it really says something about what kind of mindset you have as a person. And it was weird to see Chuck Todd being one of the only 
neoliberal like media people who are like who are like actually this is outrageous like trump was clearly talking about ms-13 and not all illegal immigrants as animals and what's wrong with that they are animals it's like dude like come on man like of course do you don't you understand what he's doing like why would you take that position but yet it's phony when all these other people you know act so outraged about it too because it's like mainstream media has been dehumanizing muslims and arabs in the middle east for over a decade trying to grease the skids for war so it's just it's just fucking it's such a mess i mean i have such a hard time still just absorbing the media landscape because i hate trump and the resistance side so much yeah that's why i haven't really said anything publicly and i wanted to just kind of go at length on a podcast about it because it's so complicated and it's really hard to like get your thoughts out there without really explaining the context of this and and going through all of these things yeah it's really really tough but that's why it's so important to talk about this robbie because i think a lot of people are in our boat where they hate what's going on but they also like despise the way that it's being hijacked and it continues to be hijacked um one thing that you're gonna love donald trump jr liked a tweet basically suggesting that the children being separated from their parents were crisis actors um, it was someone saying, don't fall for the actor children at the border. And he liked it. It's <laughs> 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 so crazy. And, and another thing that everyone's freaking out about, which I find hilarious, Department of Homeland Security chief and, and Department of Homeland Security oversees ICE. Department, Department of Homeland Security was created. People have no recollection of this. This is a new agency that was created after 9-11 that was injected with, with billions of dollars of cash. This was kind of the, the fire sale that happened that James Risen elucidates in his book that was just a cash injection to any bureaucratic agency that wanted it and especially creating new ones. Of course, when, when you're, you know, you've pumped up all the other ones, you got to create new ones, right? Got to get those jobs. So November 25th, 2002, the DHS was founded and then the next year, March 1st, 2003, ICE was created. These are new agencies that absolutely should be abolished. This is not a radical measure to call for these agencies to be completely eliminated. And I find it really funny that people are like, oh, that's, oh, that's crazy. It's like, dude, these are literally like only a decade old. Well, it's just so um, funny because it's like, it's literally an agency that exists under the umbrella of Homeland Security, another agency created <laughs> in response to 9-11. Yeah, to treat, to treat immigrants like terrorists. Yeah, That's so, what it is, to basically militarize the border and treat it like a war. Yeah, so if you, if you were doubtful before that the war on terror bureaucracy would be used and turned in on you know, people other than suspected terrorists, then like this is among the most obvious examples I've ever seen. You know, because it's like the context is totally missing. It's like right. when people are talking about ICE in the media, they, they they mention that it's a new agency, but they don't mention that it's like an umbrella agency under the Department of Homeland Security created as a reaction to 9-11. Right. And I think if a lot of people knew that, they'd be like, well, yeah, then of course we should abolish it. Don't right. we have <laughs> customs both. and immigration <laughs> enforcement, uh, uh, b- border patrol agents already? You know? Yeah. So yeah. this is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I guess I didn't even know really until fairly recently that ICE, I, I just, I didn't know how new of an agency it was, but yeah. it, um, it puts a whole new spin on it when you look into the history of it. I saw an Onion article. Of course, the Onion has not been giving a fuck at all. It says, Laura Bush pens a brave op-ed calling to criminalize and jail the person who created ICE. <laughs> 
which is obviously her husband, George Bush. So I find that really funny. They're really on point lately. Um, but another a, a hilarious thing that all these liberals and all these elite like media personalities are freaking the fuck out about is the DHS chief Kirsten Nielsen was confronted in a Mexican restaurant over the immigration policies and essentially was shamed out of there by uh, DSA people. Um, this is, this is absolutely hilarious to me because it, it, it goes back to the, what we are change was doing during the Bush administration. This is amazing. This is what we should always be doing. I don't understand why it hasn't been done more and everywhere. Like the least thing that we could do is shame the power brokers who are overseeing genocidal criminal murderous policies in our name in the public sphere. They have complete and utter impunity. They feel invincible. Shouldn't the least thing that we do shame their asses when we see them? So they feel like they have to be prisoners in their own home um, because we know, especially with the Trump administration, especially someone like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was also shunned from a restaurant because the people there didn't feel safe with her there. And people are comparing it like like acting like it's the worst thing in the world. There's op eds being penned, being like, let the Trump administration eat in peace. The fact that Trump keeps doing these bizarre campaign rallies while he's supposed to be running the country, he's doing fucking campaign rallies in all these states because he wants to be loved. All of them really, really care about being liked and admired and just being adulated, like covered with praise. And so this is actually the worst thing that you could do to them. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing, though. And I feel like this is something that Bannon and these other people who used to be part of the Trump administration or probably some of them even still are, have employed to like to help propel themselves and make them and martyr themselves. And I feel like the reason, like, for example, Sarah Sanders literally just started her briefing today at the press conference by talking about this red hen restaurant incident. There's a reason why they keep talking about this It's because they want people out there to feel like the liberal media, the liberals are unfairly like hate all conservatives. They're victims this is, this is what they want people to believe, and they're reinforcing this on a daily basis, and they can use incidents like that to be like, look, we can't even go out. Like, this is how hated and victimized we are for, like, standing up for the law, you know, and, like, enforcing the immigration policies. So yeah, it almost, like, it emboldens their fuck, base. Dude. But who gives a fuck? No, I mean, I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, nothing, anything that we do, I mean, their, their base is going to be emboldened no matter what. If, if we shame them or not, their base is going to feel the exact same way about the left. No, I know, but and, I, think and that, everyone. I, I, I think this is designed, this is why they keep talking about it. I don't think that of it's course. a bad idea to like fucking fuck with these people's lives. I just think that they, it's like the free speech rallies at Berkeley. It's like they know how to use piggyback on this for their own sort of political talking points. And it's just weird. I mean, yeah, actually, a lot of people have said like, oh, how would you like it if someone threw a drink in your face or booed at you? And I said, well, I'm not overseeing genocidal murderous policies. Do you understand the goddamn difference between a citizen and someone who's actually doing this shit, killing people in our name? Like, how do you not understand that? This is completely different from this free speech rallies with Milo Yiannopoulos fighting Antifa. These are criminal people who are literally overseeing the U.S. empire. This is the same as the Bush administration. I mean, I, I reveled in the fact that people back then were harassing Alberto Gonzalez and John Yu and Condoleezza Rice. That was amazing. That gave me hope. Like, we should absolutely treat these people like this. 
And and the same with Democrats. I'm not. We're not partisan hacks. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, shun her. Diane Feinstein, boo her. I mean, this is great. And I don't care that they're going to use it. I mean, they're going to use everything. She's the Joseph Goebbels of this administration. She she just sits there and lies through her crooked ass teeth, day in and day out, and makes herself and all these assholes around her martyrs. And I'm I just feel like people are not falling for that who are have any sort of critical thinking at all. I mean, well, no, I don't know. Definitely not. It's not meant for them. It's just like the free speech. I feel like the free speech rallies were meant more for people like fence sitters. This is meant more to just embolden their base, um, you know, to rile up their base, like the MS 13 stuff. It's more reptile brain level shit. It's just really, really interesting. I mean, because conservatives really thrive on this shit. I mean, Right. Like they really have believed, then they increasingly so have believed that they are being victimized. And this really plays into that. And I don't know. I, I feel like the Trump administration is really intent on making that worse, that divide worse and worse and worse. Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely because all they could do is fold into the base that he knows will help reelect him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I love how people are comparing the Sarah Sanders getting booed from a restaurant to actually the gay baker thing. Like, oh, oh, so, okay, so you think that Sarah Sanders should be booed out of a restaurant. Well, what about the baker who doesn't want to serve a gay couple? It's like, wait, so you're comparing the Joseph Goebbels of our time to a marginalized, like, gay person wanting to get a cake made? Like, that's actually comparable to you? Astounding. Absolutely astounding comparison. And then Huckabee, the, her fucking dad, has the audacity to be like, this is bigotry, right after he tweets this horrifyingly racist photo of MS-13, being like, this is what the Democrats want at the border. Yeah. I mean, but Robbie, it, they shouldn't have broken the law. It's, it's just, um, it's interesting that his daughter is the press secretary. I mean, that, yeah. that's, just, that's just still really weird to me. I mean, she's so bad. And, and her brother murdered a dog and hung it from a tree. I mean, that's all I th- can think about when I see him right. or her. As they act like these really happy-go-lucky evangelicals are really silly and funny and they like to have fun. And then their family literally like had a Lynch's Dahmer. animals. Like child, like bad seed who murdered a dog and hung him from a tree. And Mike Huckabee tried to intervene when the, like, the local sheriffs were going to try to arrest and charge his son. I mean, that's, that's what kind of family they are. That's God's plan, dude. I mean, I mean, look, these, these immigrants shouldn't have broken the law. That's what I keep hearing. It's like, well, they shouldn't have broken the law. Um, well, guess what? The law, the law is shit. Laws are meant to be broken. Slavery was the law. Segregation was the law. Jim Crow. I mean, come on. But yeah, it's just immigrants. It's just poor migrants that are fleeing death and rape and torture. Um, Shouldn't have broken the law, guys. Go back to your country that we actually stole at the barrel of a gun and then exported a drug war to and flooded with fucking guns. Have fun. Have fun trying to make a light. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, migrants. All these people, I mean, I'm just curious, all these people, do they go eat out at restaurants? Do they get their car washed? Do they have maid services? Do they go to hotels? Do they understand that they're surrounded by Mexicans and undocumented immigrants on a daily basis and who do things for them all the time? I mean, I, on some level, they must understand that. But if you actually ask them, point blank, you know, do you want the maid uh, who just cleaned your hotel room um, to be kicked out of the country because they're undocumented? They would say, yes, they're breaking the law. Right. You know, it's like, this is the, this is the really, it's like the broken windows thing, you know, thing we were talking about in the last podcast. 
when it comes down to it, this is a fundamental conservative sort of framework is that, well, it, it is the law and they're right. breaking the law. It's like why nonviolent drug offenders traditionally, when, um, you know, in terms of like cons the way conservatives view them, up until actually kind of recently, I feel like conservatives have more loosened up recently on drug, the idea of like nonviolent drug offenses, only slightly. But in the past, it was always like, well, they were, they were breaking the law. It is illegal to smoke marijuana. You know, right, that, right. So it's like <laughs> their worldview is defined by the current set of laws in the United States. Um, exactly. Which is, which is strange, but that's, but that's sort of like where a lot of their stuff comes from. So, but again, even when the law changes, like with DACA, you know, they still hate that. So it's right. like, even if the law changes, you know, makes it loosens up things for immigrants, they don't want that. So it's actually for them with immigration, they even go further than like the current laws. They want the laws to be even stricter. They don't just want the laws to be enforced. They want even less because I think ultimately really, it's not just about illegal immigration. They just don't want immigration. Right. You know, that's what this is. It's like, yeah, conservatives can talk all day and, and you know, and act like they're only concerned about illegal immigration. But when you see even Tucker Carlson talk about it, he makes it very clear. He's also concerned about regular immigration. There's too much. Yeah, he, does. he hates Roma people. Yeah. Um, Bannon was on, on an audio tape saying that he didn't want Asians in the country. I mean, this is, this is their true colors, baby. Um, there's claims that SCOTUS is not going to uphold this law, but, but they did essentially with the Muslim ban. All Trump had to do was just tweak it and be like, oh, by the way, we're also applying this. It's not a Muslim ban. We're also applying it to North Korea and Venezuela. So, and then, and then Supreme Court was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, then, then it's totally constitutional. <laughs> Just a complete side note. Sorry to do a complete, um, like out of left field non sequitur, but I'm just remembering a f that Q, QAnon. Yeah. This anonymous HM poster that people think is like some kind of anti deep state Trump operation or something was alleging that Anton Scalia uh, was murdered by a child he was having sex no, with. Yeah. <laughs> Did I already tell you that? <laughs> no, but I remember like Alex Jones talking about it. Yeah. So. Um, it's just funny. I mean, he was about to expose the deep state. People, Anton people. Scalia. So basically, <laughs> yeah, Anton Scalia, Andrew Breitbart, all these people were murdered. Um, but apparently, Anton Scalia was murdered by a child prostitute. Um, to, according to Q, <laughs> <laughs> by the pedophile the ring, he was about to bust. It's a tragedy. Um, let's just go really quickly over, you know, what I was going to say about Obama and, and really quickly unicorn riot, um, obtained an ice handbook. It's, it's shocking. It talks about the command structure for ice agents to obtain approval to basically break laws, uh, create false identities, insert falsified records into government databases. It's called the undercover operations handbook. So this is a, a leaked handbook. Yes. Did, did you already see the leaked LinkedIn profile database? No. Okay, well, keep, continue talking about this, and I'll, I'll yeah, mention yeah, yeah. that after. Um, and it it um, it describes how profits are recycled from illegal undercover operations into secret budgets, where money can be used to fund ICE operations, pay overtime costs for DHS agents, funnel cash to informants, and make payouts to other foreign governments. I mean, what what is going on here? What are these undercover operations that we don't know about? And it's also an undercover contract psychologist um, exists where they're staffed with mitigating psychic trauma suffered by ICE operatives. 
by ICE operatives, not by the migrants who they're terrorizing, by the fucking operatives. So they have like they have like psychiatric (laughs) um, help for the people who are who are basically arresting these immigrants. Yeah. Interesting. What were you going to say about the the doc? Well, so LinkedIn, um, apparently someone used LinkedIn and I don't, I'm not, I don't mind getting some of this wrong, but they used it to strip away all the identities of hundreds, if not thousands of ICE agents around the country and then organize them into a searchable database. They basically doxed like a thousand ICE agents. And that's hilarious. People were outraged about it. Of course, the conservatives and the right were like, you know, this, you're going to cause violence and this is, this is really wrong. And then WikiLeaks, in a surprise move, incorporated that database into their own website. And mm. every single comment, since as we've talked about on the previous podcast, a lot of right-wing people are, are into WikiLeaks now. They're actually, much more, many more right-wingers than left-wingers. Every single comment was extremely upset at WikiLeaks. Every single comment on, on Twitter, if you look at their, their tweet about it. And it was interesting because they deleted the tweet at first for like 24 hours and then they put it back up. I'm not sure why that was, but WikiLeaks is, is you know, they're exposing all these ICE agents too right now. So, wow. And I didn't actually very, look through the database, but it's, it's real. Um, and actually uh, people are trying to, I think Twitter and other places are like trying to censor the information right now. Cause they see it as like a violation of their terms of service to like dox people. Um, but it's all still out there. You can all find it and download the whole thing. Wow. That's insane. It's um, too bad. There's not something like that for like CIA agents. I mean, dude, that, I know. that'll to me, if someone never does something like that, like a Philip, a style mm-hmm. hack where they reveal like a thousand in field CIA agents names like that will cause a major fucking shitstorm in the United States. Totally. One that I would very oh, much God. like to see. That would be insanity. Yeah. There'd be like hit, there'd be like attempted hit jobs like all over the planet. You know, like infield agents who are like in other countries, like in hiding, like getting their cover blown all at the same time. Can you imagine how fucking devastating that would be for the Nuts. agency? It'd be like Benghazi times like a. Oh like my a God. Yeah, dude. It'd be beautiful. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, talk really quickly about what Obama did. I'm reading from McClatchy right now um, about Barack Obama separated parents from their children at the border. Obama prosecuted mothers for coming to the U.S. illegally, fast-tracked deportations, and yes, he housed unaccompanied children in tent cities, like we mentioned before. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, basically, we know that Obama was doing it. So let me, um, you know, he was the deporter-in-chief. He deported two million people in his first five years. That's more than any other administration in the entirety of, of administrations before him in that same time period. Um, we'd be remiss to not talk about how we got here. And going back to what we were saying at the beginning, how did our policies affect migration and immigration? And, and I think it's really, really important to go back to NAFTA. Passed in 1994 and going back to Trump, I mean, he, he used and brought up NAFTA in almost every single time he gave a speech. And, you know, people understand how detrimental NAFTA was, but, but really it was devastating it, you know, it was under the guise of this free trade partnership with Mexico that would bolster the economy and curb immigration. That's what it was sold as. It did literally the opposite. Opposite. It heavily subsidized U.S. crops flooding in, drove production down, consumer prices up, 
um, sweatshop labor surged. 28,000 small and medium-sized businesses in Mexico were destroyed in the first four years of NAFTA. 28,000. And here's the most important part to know. The price of corn, which was Mexico's main staple, fell by almost 70%. And what did that do? It ejected 2 million small farmers from their land. We're talking about rural farmers in Mexico who were forced to migrate to sustain their lives. This neoliberal development model of NAFTA basically stunted Mexico's food independence forever, where now they actually import almost 50% of their food. 50%. And guess what happened to undocumented immigration? Well, it rose almost 200%. 200% after Jesus NAFTA. Christ. I forget, even though like we kind of know in the back of our minds how bad NAFTA was, when you really look at the statistics, holy shit, to prepare for it, that's when the wall was built. Um, Operation Hold the Line and Operation Gatekeeper, Operation Safeguard, three operations put in place along the 2,000-mile U.S.-Mexico border in anticipation for the upsurge of immigration after NAFTA was passed. It's just incredible. So that was all before 9-11. The wall was instructed. And then I want to get really quickly, and, and I really encourage everyone to watch our documentary for The Empire Files called the, the Empire's War on the Border because it's just the most heartbreaking stories of these people who cross and they won't stop crossing. There is no deterrence. It doesn't matter if they're deported five times. They will continue to come back because almost half of them have family here, first of all. And the other half is probably fleeing death, murder, and torture, like we said. And and literally anything, they'll risk everything to get away from that situation. Um, so it's just it's just nonsensical to think that these people are like lazy freeloaders who are just like waltzing over here to try to take shit from us. In 1994, the death by deterrence strategy from Border Patrol, before that policy, Robbie. Five bodies of migrants were found in the Arizona desert per year. After 1994, after Border Patrol put in this funneling policy where they funneled the wall into funneling migrants into the most death-defying route, so over this mountainous, treacherous terrain, over 200 just in southern Arizona, hundreds in just southern Arizona every year, hundreds, if not thousands, Thousands of people are dying in the desert trying to get here on purpose. It's actually Fuck. one of the most cruel, disturbing policies, like a war that's been waged that no one knows about. Thousands per year are dying trying to get here. And I, you know, I went out with no more deaths who are now being charged with felony offenses for leaving water for migrants, even though you can leave water for animals when they're fleeing fires. Apparently you get put in jail if you try to give fucking human beings water when they're dying. Uh, but but this group is incredible. They go out there and try to leave water for migrants. And, you know, I um, Dan Cohen, who did a lot of work for the documentary, interviews a lot of these people who are about to, to leave or who have just gotten deported. And their stories are absolutely mind bending. Um, and you cannot like watch them without just having just complete and total empathy for these people. They are human beings. They are brothers and sisters and they need asylum they're they're fleeing death and a lot of these people who've gotten deported have died like that poor guy who who got killed he, he had grown up here his entire life and that's another difference that trump is doing as opposed to obama where trump is actually deporting people who have been here their whole lives who have no ties whatsoever to these 
like war zones and he's just like shipping them back there. Like in Mexico, someone died a week after they got there and they're pleading them. They said, I am going to die. If you deport me, please. I've lived here my whole life dead within two weeks back to Mexico. So yeah, this death by deterrent strategy that Clinton oversaw, um, it is unbelievable how many people die and it's just the most inhumane logic that death will be a deterrent. Well, there's no deterrence at all. It's just all death. And then you have Operation Streamline, which I'll just say really quickly. You should watch our hidden camera footage where we snuck into one of these like fascist court proceedings where they just shuffle in migrants like a slave auction, where they're chained with their hands and feet, they're clanking around, and they just go... Antonio, Alberto, da, da, da. And they go through this line of like 80 people and they all just have to say culpable, like I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. And then they get shipped away to private prisons for $120 a day, right in the private prison CEO's pockets. And then they'll just, one of the guys, if, they, if they're lucky, they, they will be able to plead with the judge, please, this one guy said, please um, put me in prison in North Carolina so I can be near my, my family. He said, I haven't seen my daughters in years. He said, please send me there. I mean, it's just, it's just disgusting. And this was all going on while Obama and Clinton. I mean, this is, this is how we got here. So before 9-11, there were 9,000 Border Patrol agents working America's border. Like you said, we had, we had Customs and Border Patrol, and we had you know um, law enforcement or whatever that was, what, that was doing that. They were already fascist enough. Like we said in the last podcast, they just indiscriminately killing kids, you know, kind of similar to IDF soldiers who, who, who do whatever they want with impunity because these people are others and animals, and they're, you know, they're trying to invade us and infest our country. But after 9-11... The DHS and Customs and Border Patrol is the largest law enforcement agency in the U.S. 46,000 agents now. And that, and it's probably way more now. This was, I did this documentary three years ago where these stats are coming from. Deciding to leave your home, your friends, your family, to leave to a foreign country that you could die. You could die going to. That is the most personal, intimate decision that someone can make. A human being could possibly, possibly make. And the fact that we're demonizing the people who are in, we're putting in that position. We put them in that position. We put them there. And, and they're sacrificing everything to try to live and to make a life for their family. And um, yeah, and, and even the MS-13 gang. I mean, this started in Los Angeles. We deported all, all these gang members from East LA who were also just trying to survive, trying to survive in the crazy system that we have, deported. Deported back to El Salvador. And guess what was happening in El Salvador? Dirty wars, the CIA operations going on there. Um, the civil war that was raging under the administration of Ronald Reagan. And, and, and another interesting thing, and that's a lot, this is the last thing I'll say about it, is that under Obama, those unaccompanied minors that were coming, coming, a huge percentage of them were Honduran. And what happened in Honduras not too long ago? A fucking coup. And who was involved? Hillary Clinton, who bragged about it in her goddamn book about how she was instrumental in the coup that violence skyrocketed, went up hundreds of percentage points um, and exacerbated the horrific things going on in Honduras. So, and this is on top of like at least 56 military interventions in South and Latin America from the CIA. And this is just on top of the drug war and the anti-communist shit that's been going on there for the last hundred years that the CIA has been doing. And, and you, you put NAFTA on top of that and this crazy um, operation that's going on to funnel migrants to die. So yeah, it puts a little bit more context in, in what's happening now.
No, jump to Israel. Unbelievable. Yeah, thank you for listening to me. Uh, again, really, really watch this documentary. It really, and we talk about the whole colonization of, of Mexico, the Mexican-American War, the separation of Nogales, which was the first actual border wall put up was in Nogales to split a community in two. It's just very, very comprehensive, very heartbreaking, but it, again, essential to understand how we got here. So quick updates with, with Israel. U.S. pulls out of the U.N. Human Rights Council. This is absolutely hysterical because we know that Nikki Haley was going around pleading the countries like a, f- a little baby. Um, and Nikki Haley says the council is a hypocritical and self-serving organization that displays unending hostility toward Israel. And she's standing next to Mike Pompeo, who says the U.N. Human Rights Council is a protector of human rights abuses. As comical as all of this is, the Bush administration actually boycotted the council, too. In 2006. And guess who, and guess what? Guess who was the UN ambassador at that time? John, John Bolton. Bolton. Well, this is what I was saying. Um, it's like people are now under the like. I see all these like Trump apologists or people who are still soft on Trump, even progressives who are like, "Oh, Bolton got like muzzled, you know, during this North Korea thing, and and he must not be having that much of an effect, you know, like because why is Trump, you know, doing this instead of bombing North Korea? Um, it's just just so short sighted because clearly. That Bolt, one of Bolton's main agendas, I think, is to completely sever our relationship with any of these international criminal courts or the UN. I think that that's part of his purpose of being in the administration, and it fits perfectly in line with this nationalism, populism that like Trump has been riding on too, because it's like, why should we let these fucking, you know, this the UN tell us what to do? Like we do whatever we want. I mean, it's it's actually a perfect melding of neoconservatism and like right-wing populism nationalism it's one of the totally it's one of the only areas where they perfectly converge right um the neoliberal sort of you know the more resistant more modern neoconservative worldview they've already moved past the idea that the un like i feel like people like robert kagan and crystal they almost have to go along with the idea that the un is important now even though maybe in their hearts they're like kind of like secretly like don't want it, they need to pretend like it's good because it's like makes them look civilized. The old way of being like completely fuck the UN, that's like the old neocon way that doesn't float anymore um, in sort of the mainstream sphere. So I feel like that's what's happening here. This is another example of the neocon outliers who never rebranded, never updated their platform to see more civilized who are actually getting their way now. And there's probably a lot of people in D.C. who are silently, very secretly happy about this, especially the Zionist neocons. I mean, that's obvious. Totally. Yeah, yeah. no, you're totally right. John Bolton has, I think he's doing a lot more than we think. I agree. Um, you know, you even have to wonder why he wrote that op-ed two months before he got officially appointed inside the Trump administration calling for bombing North Korea. Right. You know, that's, that's, that seems strategic to me. It's it's just so fucking funny. And then Net, did you see Netanyahu like congratulating Nikki Haley and the Trump administration? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I feel like we should do a little Israel roundup on every podcast because there's so much horrifying stuff going on on a daily basis. Um, and I'll just talk about a few of them and and see what you think. Um, Israeli occupation forces notified last week the evacuation of 21 more Palestinian family homes in just one little area of the Northern Jordan Valley under the guise of military drills. Okay. You guys are, are all being served um, evacuation orders. Get out of your homes because we just want to do more military drills in just this random neighborhood that you all live in. 
There was another story of a an Israeli family that sold their home to an actually an Arab Israeli family. And there's been um, about 150 protesters harassing them, um, trying to tell them to not move in their neighborhood. So that's within Israel proper. Great. And yeah. And, and after, you know, the great March of return, the horrifying bloodletting where over 1000 Palestinians were shot deliberately in the head, neck and torso. What does Israel do as a response? Well, they're actually making it, um, illegal now to film IDF soldiers. So now they're going to jail people for five years for filming them. This was after this was introduced after the video of that IDF soldier literally cheering. Remember after that, after killing Palestinians and he was like, Oh shit, did you see that dude? He's like, did you see his, his legs go up like that? After that was released, this bill was introduced on June 20th in the Knesset. So it doesn't matter if they're violating international law or, or, or committing horrible massacres. Um, they're just going to criminalize, again, fascist behavior. This is, this is almost just the, the logical conclusion of, you know, where we thought it would go. So um, 35 more Palestinians were shot with live ammo. No one died, though, in the, in the last uh, June 22nd, as thousands demonstrated again. And one of the organizers for the Great March of Return wrote a little op-ed, and I'll link to it on the timeline, but she, she wrote that no more Palestinian blood needs to be shed. She said, um, one of the most important things that they need to do now, the next stage of resistance, needs to be showing that Palestinians love their love, their culture, their music, their art, their food. We need to show the world that we're not a death cult and that we love life. Just like they told me at that press conference, and it was powerful to see what they're proposing and what the next stage of what they feel like to win this propaganda war and this battle of hearts and minds with people who can really put pressure on the apartheid state to collapse. Another story that came out is wounded Palestinians. Um, and, and this is not necessarily surprising because Israel already does prevent the, the treatment of wounded people from getting life-saving medication to cross into um, Israel proper to get, to get, aid. Yeah. But but they're actually doing deliberately they're actually now denying all permits for anyone who's remotely could have been tied to these protests at all. So several people have died, several people are going to die because they are all denied access to life-saving medication because they are all considered uh, you know participating in terrorism. It's like a punitive measure. Not yep. only were they blocking medics from getting into the site and leaving, they are additionally what you're saying now is they're they're putting a punitive measure where it's like, it'd almost be like if you were like, what took place in the Occupy protests and you were on camera and you got hurt, like you were refused medical care or something. Yep. It's like, yep. it's like after the fact, if you were there and we know you were, we have you on a list. Nope. You do not. You cannot cross over the border and like go to a hospital. It's vindictive and, and crazy. Yeah extremely punitive. I mean, this is what is the Israeli government's been doing to the Palestinians for, you know, for as long as we've been covering this mm-hmm. longer. It's just, it's these punitive measures, these punitive, awful things they do. I mean, even down to their creativity when it comes to punitive measures is impressive. I mean, even down to their stink, um, their stink spray trucks that like spray, like something that's artificially scented to smell and, and look like raw sewage. You know, who skunk comes spray. up with that shit? They yeah, have like automatic spray. machine guns like in the movie Aliens by James Cameron that shoot Palestinians. I mean, this shit's crazy. 
Yeah, they and and for people who don't know, Palestinians who live in the refugee camps within Palestine, they have water tanks that they can only get once a month, and they have to allocate them equally within the family and et cetera. And so Israeli forces will raid their camps every day, spray into the water tanks with the skunk spray and just make it uninhabitable. I mean, Great. imagine not having water. God. Like they literally are treating peaceful marchers who have a kite that's on fire the same as like a suicide bomber. Like it actually mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you do anymore. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, if you throw a rock, Abby, you're a right. terrorist. right. I mean, it's just such, such dishonest bullshit. They have to lower, they have to like move the goalposts and lower the bar even more and more and more over time to be like, everybody who's resisting is a terrorist. I mean, that's what they want you to think. Right. It's so manipulative and, um, and horrifying that that's what they're doing, but it seems to be working on certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I just you know? had an argument with like several people today trying to explain to them that um, it, they actually look completely genocidal trying to justify shooting 1,000 people in the head and torso. Yeah. They didn't seem to get it. And even that thing that came out later where it was like Hamas claims that these are their martyrs, like these 40 people or whatever. It's like, first of all, how do we even know? How can we even trust that? It's no, like I don't these, trust that at all. These people weren't going to the border in Hamas garb with, with guns. Even if they, let's just say, even if it's true, even if they were members of Hamas, they weren't there doing a Hamas style action. They were there like protesting among the other protesters. Yeah. Good point. Hamas. There's no video footage showing like provocateurs trying to escalate the protest. It was like a mass unifying moment where everybody was using pretty much the same tactics you know, like setting the kites on fire that you can't say that's a hundred percent nonviolent, but it wasn't, it's not something that Hamas like does. It just, it's just bizarre to me that how well yeah. that that like little talking point worked on certain people where it's like, Oh, were there were the, this many people were Hamas. So they're right. terrorists. Oh yeah. No. And also I don't believe that. I don't believe that no, Hamas members said that. And I don't believe that Hamas was even there. Sorry. No, I mean, as, um, I don't know if it was Gareth Porter, but he's like, they explicitly stood down. Right. You know, they didn't want their, sh- the, the action to be colored by their affiliation. Right. right. So, which is even more disgusting. It's like even more dehumanizing to be like, this is, you guys are just Hamas. It's like, actually, these are Palestinians with their own agency who mm-hmm. did this on their own. Well, yeah, I mean, Shouldn't you Israelis- applaud that? Who are these people that are like, Palestinians should practice nonviolence in Gandhi? It's like, well, what, what do you, how do you react when they do that? Yeah. And still get executed. Yeah. I mean, I even remember John Stewart on the daily show, like trying to imply that Hamas was brainwashing all children into becoming like suicide bombers. And it's this, this sort of creeping dehumanization where you think, Oh, well all the children in Palestine too, are just, they, they, they are groomed to be terrorists since they're like children. So it's so many layers and levels of dishonest and manipulative dehumanization. It's astonishing to me that people can't see through it. Especially at this point. And now they're doing tactics of sending out attack dogs. There's several people who have reported getting maimed Fuck. by these rabid attack dogs that they're putting in. They also welded the doors shut and actually imprisoned a family into their own home in Hebron. Hebron is one of the only Israeli settlements that's inside of an actual city. 
Uh And um, it's a ghost town now. That's where the Palestinians live in actual cages. You can see the cages where the settlers live on top and throw feces and excrement and and like bottles and glass and garbage onto them. Mm -hmm. And so this happened there where they actually welded a Palestinian family inside of a home. Why? Um, um, Because, because why not? (laughs) Who did it? The IDF or settlers? No, the IDF. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, because they were pissed that they that they were living there. So um, they just create turn their home into like a a prison that they can yeah. escape from. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. Yeah, and if you leave your home, like in Hebron, especially settlers will immediately take it over. So no Palestinians can actually ever leave their house unaccompanied. Wow. Um, they have they have emptied out this whole area where it's literally a ghost town where there's just like tens of thousands of soldiers guarding just a couple hundred few like very extremist settlers who and initially they state claim in the heart of this old city into a hotel and they were like, we're never leaving. And so instead of like, you know, putting a, a camper on top of an Arab village and having like Israeli soldiers come and help them put power lines and water and set up an outpost to guard them. This was actually in the middle of like a bustling thoroughfare of a city. And these settlers were just like, we're never leaving. And so they started a settlement inside of this bustling hub around the, these people. And so now the it's like fuck? the most like apparent, visible, visceral depiction of apartheid. Absolutely surreal. Check out, um, check out our documentary on it. I'll, I'll link to it also right now. But, but, but going along with that, another documentary we did when we were in the West Bank was, was interview the Dewapsha grandfather, this man, Hussein Dewapsha. His entire family was burned alive by extremist settlers, including his 18-month-old grandson, Ali. You can watch this harrowing story. We interview him. Um, the only survivor is, is, a, is a boy named Ahid, who's completely burned from head to toe. Jesus He's Christ. too young to understand what happened to his family yet. It's, it's going to be a really awful, devastating life for him. The real, real clincher is that um, the people have never stopped harassing them. You know, on, on all social media, it's settlers saying, Ollie's dead. Where's Ollie? We're going to get Ahid or Ahmed. Sorry. We're going to get Ahmed like one left. They'll like stake out in the Duma village and hold up three fingers being like, we got three. There's one more to go. Um, he's worried that they're going to come back and firebomb his house. So he puts Ahmed in a different room every night because he's scared. And, and again, these people can't have guns to protect themselves. Whereas the settlers can have machine guns and automatic rifles and waltz around and, and harass them and firebomb them with essentially no accountability whatsoever. In this instance, it was so horrifying and such an international story that one person out of like the 18 who did this to his family got indicted and that's where Hussein went to this courthouse, you know, where this trial is going on, where this one settler is being arrested finally for burning his whole family alive. And unfortunately, there's two dozen protesters just staked out outside the courthouse chanting, where is Ollie? Ollie's on the grill. Jesus Christ. And you filmed this. Um, no, I didn't film the Ollie's on the grill. I, um, this is new. This just happened like, like a couple days ago. Um, but I did film extensively with the grandfather and I filmed with his grandson, who's still the only survivor. There was also an instance of a wedding where they were slamming knives into the photo of the 18-month-old baby after they killed him. So, you know, whenever John Stewart and Jake Tapper like to talk about how children are born brainwashed in Palestine, maybe they should talk about this. 
And there's like a bunch of kids out there too. It's like, damn, who the fuck are your parents, dude? You're out here screaming always on the grill to an 18 month old baby that you burned alive. Um, on top of this, just a couple other things is that Israel just bombed Syria and killed 52 anti-ISIS fighters. Um, this is insane. And, and I'm getting this from the real news. The only people that I've actually seen talking about this are like Max and Ben Norton on the real news where, and this is hundreds of miles away from the occupied Golan Heights where more than a dozen Syrians were killed, two dozen Iraqi fighters um, from the popular mobilization forces who are militias um, backed by the Iraqi government who have been fighting ISIS inside Iraq. And it's just unbelievable. It's like, again, Israel and the U.S. are providing air cover for ISIS. Like, why uh-huh. else could this have happened? And we know that ISIS has actually apologized to Israel f- once um, Israel got caught up in one of their attacks. Can you explain really quickly? Because I'm not, I, I've just learned about this recently. I feel pretty ignorant on it. But what is the Golan Heights and why is it like disputed territory and why and how it's like another weird thing where Israel claims that they have, that it's theirs, but it's actually not? And how weird um, is it too? And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not implying that the Mossad controls ISIS, but how weird is it that ISIS has never done a terrorist attack on Israel yet? They literally share a border with Syria. It's a stra- it's honestly one of the strangest fucking things ever, Abby. Well, no, that that's what's so funny. Uh, the Israeli Defense Minister um, Moshe Yalon at a conference in Israel. So he basically admits that ISIS accidentally fired a mortar and then apologized to the Israeli military and the Israeli military accepted the apology. So yeah, going back to what you're saying, um, why yep. hasn't ISIS ever attacked us? And why did they apologize to Israel when they attacked them accidentally? That's very strange. Maybe because they know that Israel and the U.S. are providing them air cover to, to do all this shit in Syria and Iraq. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, even if there is no direct funding, you know. Um, yeah. And I uh, mean... Yeah, I was just gonna say, have you seen this um, this show on Viceland called um, Hunting ISIS? No, it is what? fucking crazy, Abby. It looks like it was mostly filmed like at least a year ago, like when ISIS was still more, you know, had a lot of territory in Syria. And what's fascinating about it is it's all these American volunteers, so like young kids in their early twenties who are like ex-military or they're not officially over there all working with the YPG and different CIA assisted mm, rebel groups right. in Syria. Right. And, and what's so fascinating about it is, you know, here, here's like a 22 year old kid from Ohio over there. And the whole time I'm wondering, wait, so are all these kids like trust fund kids or are they, how are they getting the money to just fly to Syria and then live over there? You know, and then you have to wonder, like, are they also siphoning CIA money, too? Is this part of the CIA program? Like, how does this even work? Does the YPG pay them? You know, like, it was never explained. I watched two whole episodes, and the whole time I'm wondering, how are these kids even over there surviving? There's no explanation of how they're paying their own way. Right. So that's a missing part of the story where you have to wonder, like, how are they paying their own way? Obviously, they're not. And if the YPG is paying them to help to be volunteer fighters, then they're basically being paid by the CIA. The whole thing is so convoluted and fucking weird still. Yeah, the YPG shit's really, really weird. And they're way too close for comfort with the, you know, the people that the quote unquote moderate rebels um, that are just being pumped with well, CIA yeah, I mean, money. And the YPG, you know, appear to be moderate, They, you know, or, or whatever. But it's like they're being funded by the CIA. Right. Um so 
to me, I guess my my main argument is still like I don't care how moderate any of the rebels are or how jihadi or whatever they are. I just care if they're being like funded by the U.S. Um, government or not. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. And it doesn't it's just matter weird how like- that argument got completely lost. It's like. You know, it's like all it's like all it's about is like concern trolling the, you know, the U.S. government and who called the moderate rebels. It's like that to me is just like another weird circular argument. It's like who ultimately cares? Yeah, they lied. Obviously, they're lying. They're funding, you know, rebels who aren't moderate. We that okay, argument over. What about the overall larger issue of the CIA fueling a proxy war of all these groups? The argument is largely that the U.S. is funding a proxy war. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I feel like that's that larger view is not is not the framework in which a lot of this stuff is arguing. It still gets in the mire of like, you know, yeah, like which rebel groups are good and bad. Yeah, and, it's like yeah, yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. fucking bad if they're being right, funded right. by the fucking right, Western right, right. powers, dude. Right, because like, that's the concern trolling that like people who are the pro Syria warship will say they'll be like, we don't care where the money's coming from. Like, we need help, and and like I don't care when I don't ask the question like who's funding the ambulance that's saving my family. It's like that kind of pulling on your heartstring about like the YPG. It's like who mm-hmm. cares who's funding it? Like they're you know. Like they're the good rebels. It's like, what? I, I care that the CIA is funding them because there's obviously a reason why the CIA is funding them and that's not good. I mean, but, to um, me, the CIA yeah. is one of the most evil of course. organizations on the planet and needs to be destroyed. So right. it's like anytime I hear about the CIA funding anything, especially funding a re- like a false rebellion, you know, exacerbating conflict in another country, I want that to completely get fucked. To answer your question about the Golan Heights, um, we did a whole documentary called How Palestine Was Colonized and the Untold History of Palestine-Israel that I'll post also. But but basically, I mean, long story short is that in the 1967 war, Israel utilized that war to carry out its greater Israel project and seize um, all of this territory. So they that's when they invaded Syria and took all of this this territory called the Golan Heights, and they've just annexed it ever since. And so they use that to eke out more and more to launch operations, to bomb, you know, Syria. They've already launched over a hundred attacks on Syria that no one talks about. So yeah, I'll look a little bit more into, um, into this and what, what actually is going on. Cause I don't know enough as I should, but yeah, that's, that's the, that's the basics. You know, there are good things happening also with the pro-Palestinian fight. Local authorities in Ireland and Chile have become the latest to join a growing global wave of resistance to Israel's war crimes against the Palestinians. I'm reading from Electronic Intifada right now. In April, Dublin City Council became the first European capital to endorse a boycott, voting to discontinue a contract with HP. Um, They've long been complicit in Israel's military occupation of Palestine. Also last week in Chile... The southern city of Valdivia passed a motion endorsing BDS, declaring the city an apartheid-free zone. The measure was introduced by the city's mayor, Omar Sabat, who is of Palestinian descent. More than 30 local authorities in Spain have endorsed the BNC campaign. Um, Many Spanish cultural centers and small businesses, such as cafes and shops, have also declared themselves apartheid-free zones. This may not seem like a big deal, but it absolutely is. You know, just because countries aren't fully embracing the anti-apartheid stuff like there are municipalities there are officials there are local governments that are doing this and that is huge and that really does have an enormous impact because it all comes down to solidarity 
And um, this is just an incredible thing that, you know, I just encourage more and more people to get involved, to reach out. There's also an app that I just downloaded called Bicot. And you can join the, and it's hilarious because Israel has such an extensive Hasbro operation that they also like immediately got on the app and they're like boycott, like anyone who's like participating in BDS. So it's like a reverse boycott call on the app from like Israelis. Uh-huh. But the, but the strongest app group is the BDS group. So you can, you can join in and see actually what products are being made in these and in the occupation and and not support those companies. So I encourage everyone to do that at the very least or get involved in a group and and um try to start some of these initiatives on campus and it, it's happening. Yeah, I guess the only other thing that I wanted people to check out was there's a mint this is totally unrelated to Israel, but there's a mint press news article right now that I helped um I helped Whitney Webb write um I mean she she wrote 99% of the whole article. She just talked to me for it. Um, but it's called pro-Trump conspiracy monger QAnon calls for regime change in Iran. And um, I guess WikiLeaks decided at the same time, um, you know, that QAnon posted these Iranian regime change postings that it, they, the WikiLeaks announced it's some kind of Mossad psyop, which seems to be a little bit, you know, specific of a declaration. Um, that's a WikiLeaks thinks whoever the fuck's running their account now. Uh, but yeah, it's in, it's interesting that this QAnon thing is still going, and um, I've done analysis of it on a, some previous episodes. If if you missed those, go back and check them out. But yeah, definitely check out this new Mint Press news article. It's pretty fascinating. Put it on the timeline. Yeah, I will. And and I just wanted to conclude this with one more statement about immigration: is that we cannot let the Democrats go back to this policy of mass deportation in a quote humane sense yeah they're using this outrage and they're going to basically fold it into their base just like they do every time but it is worth mentioning that not only do we have to fight them outside of this two-party dictatorship we also have to put our bodies in the streets because the the two times that things were halted first of all the trump putting this executive order out is a great sign because it shows you that he was impacted by the outrage, right? Back in the Obama administration, DACA was passed because not one more movement was started by by dreamers, by a lot of people who, whose families were getting deported en masse under the deporter in chief. They were putting their bodies on the line. They were blocking ice buses. They were doing everything in their power and put so much pressure on Obama. And they were also confronting Democrats, putting, you know, staging sit-ins in their offices. And that's what forced Obama's hand to pass DACA as an executive order. And then going back to the Bush administration, he actually tried to do a similar thing that Trump is doing where he was going to make it a felony immediately when people came in, when, when if you cross one time, it's just a misdemeanor. You're not charged with a felony for the first time. So he was going to try to pass a felony measure of zero tolerance. And that's when you saw millions and millions of people in one of the largest protests in the, the history of this country of undocumented and immigrant people out in the street and, and they called it the sleeping giant because it was, you know, I think the fear got struck in the hearts of the oligarchs and the elites that understand that they need undocumented labor. And that prevented Bush from actually passing that measure. So that's what I mean when I say it's all going to come from people's power. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or a Republican, they're still going to press for these things. And the only thing that's going to stop them is us putting our bodies on the line. And you have to have hope that we've, we've, we've prevented this before. But again, we can't become complacent. We can't let the Democrats just like carry on like they are and pretending like they're the resistance party because we know, again, what I just explained about Clinton and Obama's policy. We don't want that. Not in our name. Yeah. 
it's really fucked up. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of huge changes that need to be made. This is, I mean, just reversing this policy back to the original Obama policy is not good enough. And if that's good enough for you, then you really have not. Your outrage is false, right? And you really need to look at the bigger picture here. So, become an internationalist. These people are our brothers and sisters who want life, dignity, happiness, respect, and we have a lot to learn from them. Um, thank you so much for donating everyone. I just looked at our Patreon and I'm really overwhelmed by the love and support, you know, everything that you guys are doing. I'm going to put a special gift on Patreon, um, in the next week or so to, um, offer a giant 16 by 20 print of my artwork. If anyone wants to become a high, high roller Patreon donor, um, as a little gift. So, so look out for that sign up on media roots for the newsletter, and um, thank you so much, you guys. You guys keep us inspired and keep us going. And, and we just love all the feedback and, and really appreciate all the support. Yeah, the support is amazing. Um, still hard to believe how much our Patreon has grown over the last year. Um, and uh, yeah, we're so appreciative. And it really uh, makes us want to keep going and do more, more and more podcasts for you guys. So thank you. Peace out. Peace.